Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to continue on, and Lord willing, close up our back to the basics. Uh, it says in 23, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as you see the day approaching. May the Lord's blessing to the reading of his words, Paul's for prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, forgive me of sin, please. Empty me of self and fill me with your spirit today. May I say nothing amiss. May this tie-up message of these actually five together, I pray that you help me to speak clearly. May we take the encouragement at the end of this message and imply or incorporate them into our lives. And may we be about your business, Lord, the time seems short from where you're going to come back for your church. And so may we do. We are here for such a time as this. How shall we then live? We shall live by trusting in you. And may our lives, our testimonies be real uh, in the presence of a very darkening world. In Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen. We have talked about perhaps where we are. How did we get? In January the 1st, we talked two messages about how we got to where we are. Uh, where do we go from here was last Sunday morning, last Sunday night, and then closing up this morning. I've actually called it Back to Basics 1, 2, and this is Back to Basics 3. We talked about, first of all, State of the Union. How is it we got to the shape we are in culturally? And I found this excellent quote uh, from first Muggeridge, Malcolm Muggeridge. From, uh, he's dead. He's passed away now, but he's from England. And I thought this one little quote depicts where we are in America Today, listen to this, he wrote this before he passed away, regarding post-Christianized culture in the West. So, quoting now, the final conclusion would surely be that, whereas other civilizations have been brought down by attacks of barbarians from without, ours had the unique distinction of training its own destroyers at its own educational institutions and providing them with facilities for propagating their destructive ideology far and wide, all at the public expense. Thus did Western man decide to abolish himself, creating his own boredom out of his own affluence, his own vulnerability out of his own strength, his own impotence out of his own erotomania, himself blowing the trumpet that brought down the walls of his own city tumbling down, and having convinced himself that he was too numerous, labored with pill and scalpel and syringe to make himself fewer, until at last, having educated himself into imbecility and polluted and drugged himself into stupefaction, he healed over a wearied, battered old brontosaurus and became extinct. That is us. That is America, the post-truth culture. We have, we have destroyed ourselves from the inside out. And that's our culture. But God has left us here for this. Elijah was so discouraged, he says, I'm the only one left. No, there's 7,000 have bowed the knee to Baal. And there's other Christians in Boyd and Siona and Greenup counties who have not bowed either, and they're in church this morning. Howbeit, we know that only 25% of America goes to church any given Sunday, according to statistics. And that is a sad state of affairs in the United States of America. So that's the state of the union. We talked about, secondly, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed right dividing the word of truth. That was last Sunday morning's message. And you're thinking, boy, I wish I'd have had that last week. We could have got home early for lunch. Second, or the third S, is seek. 
pray. Pray without ceasing. We are to be doing that. It says in Ephesians, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Have you spent time with God today already? I trust that you have. If you have not, you need to change your ways and spend time with Him. The first thing I get up, I just had to say at 5.15 this morning, I said, Lord, I really don't want to get out of bed right now. It's awfully early. But I got up. And the cats, I don't know what this, the, the, they lay on my legs. And so my back's hurting because I'm afraid to, I know, I'm afraid to move the cats. And I want, I want them to be able to stay comfy and everything. Pastor, just shoot them off. You know, you're at your bed. Push them off, for goodness sake. Well, I haven't come to that yet. And so there we are. I need to come to that so I can stretch out normally here. I, my dad, it, oh my, please don't be listening right now. My dad would keel over if he knew I had a cat on my bed, number one, and that I was catering to him, number two. Pray. Not sure how we got on that point, but there we go. We are to pray. We're to pray without ceasing. We are to helps us align ourselves with God. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Let him ask of God. Life is too short for us to do everything we want to do, but it's long enough for us to do everything God wants us to do. So that's service. That was the fourth S was serve. We are to come before his presence with singing. We are to serve the Lord with gladness. We are. The fifth S was sanctuary, making church a priority, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. We mentioned last Sunday morning that according to a Washington Standard, last Sunday night, Washington Standard Online, April 6, 2019, an average of more than 100 churches are dying in America every single week. 100 dying in America every single week. The number of Americans with no religion has increased 266% over the last 30 years, from 89 to 19, 266%. I have no religion. I don't care about it. I'm part of the N-O-N-E. I'm part of the nuns. That's that's by far the fastest growing. How did we get here? We stopped teaching the Word of God and the truth bound therein. That's why we are in a post-truth culture. My feelings are more important than the truth. That is exactly what people think, most people, younger folks think today. Church attendance, by the way, is not just a good suggestion, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Now, I found this article, why, Five Reasons Why Young People Are Leaving the Church by Hiram Kemp, 2020, April 10. Five quick reasons, free will. They want to. All the folks in the church cause, they want to. Secondly, teens say they're failed by parents. Now, we know as parents, if you've had children or grandchildren or aunts and uncles and things, we do our best by God's grace. That They have their own will, though, to decide. Once they get out of our homes, we do our best, and then they decide what they're going to do. But there have been some Christian parents who have not done that, and, and they failed. Hypocrisy, one in integrity. Uh, well, art integrity is rightfully called into question when we teach things that aren't sin as sin. Or we say things that are sin aren't sin, and so we need to be straight up and clear and transparent. We need to show genuine care and concern. They don't, know, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. That's it. So when I'm teaching the seniors at the, uh, the different uh, groups around our area, the, I'm teaching computer to the seniors, they need to know I care for them. I say, yes, I'll stay and, and, and I'll stay work with you afterwards. Yes, I'll try to answer those questions if I can. And th- they want to know that you care for them. Where's the challenge? Fourth, the fourth thing that teens while they leave church, where's the challenge? We have in the last 40 or 50 years, we've made teenage teen department like the big game show. 
We put peanut butter under their armpits and made teens come up and lick the peanut butter off that of somebody else's armpit. I just, why aren't we teaching what God has said? This is what they need to know. They need to be prepared to, when they got out on their own, why the Bible says this. And for, fifth reason why this guy says teens, there's lack of involvement. Get involved. That's why I encourage you, if you're, you need to find a ministry at our church to be involved in. If, you, if, you're, if you're not can't get very mobile, then pray. Send cards. Send emails. If you can, if you can sling a hammer. If you can mop a floor. If you can sweep the sweeper. If you can dust. Whatever, you, whatever you can do, get involved. Sing, play, whatever God's called you to do. So be involved. That's why teens are leaving church. I found this excellent thing from uh, Tom Rayner, who is sort of kind of a church uh, answers guru. He does. He's, he's a founder and CEO of Church Answers. And he wrote these things. He said, why attend church? Why attend church? First of all, I attend church to serve others. Have you thought about that? Your spiritual gifts cannot be happening at home. So when we were sequestered in our homes, sequestered in our homes and we could only do live stream, we didn't have the opportunity to share our spiritual gifts with others. That's why it's so important we meet together, I believe, to encourage one another. That's the second reason he goes. He loves his church, to encourage one another. Opportunities. We live in incredible digital age, but what we need is one-on-one people talking to people, live and in person, instead of social media, by the way. Social media is taking over the teens. Teens 97% of American teens says they're on their phone or social media at least sometime during the day. And by self-identifying, 46% of teens in America are constantly on social media. 46%. 97% are on their phone at some point in time. Do you not think the iPhone in 2007 has changed our world? And a lot of it is not for the better. Thirdly, why he enjoys church? I enjoy church to encourage my pastor. He says, the least I can do for my pastors to be there in person when we gather for church. I know it encourages me. By the way, it does encourage your pastor when he sees you in church. Very much so. It's a gift, he says, I can give to my pastor every week. Fourthly, I attend church to state my priorities. He says, if I'm able to go to work, to go to school, to go on vacation, to watch TV or whatever, be involved in a sport, I can attend church. I like this. I desire to have a no-excuse clause in my life for attending church. A no-excuse clause. Fifthly, I attend church to participate in worship. Something special about getting together. I told the choir right before I prayed, before he came over, we want to worship the Lord as we sing. That is our goal, praising God for what he has given us, marvelous grace. Sixthly, I attend church even if it doesn't meet all my needs. I say, if I am not getting fed spiritually, it likely means I am not hungry spiritually. If my church does some things a bit differently than my preferences, I realize I am there not as a consumer, but as a giver and one who has been called to put others' needs before my own. No church is perfect, he says. No worship style is perfect. No pastor is perfect, but neither am I. And the idea that we, we are in church to, it's not there just to meet our need. You know, we, are, we, we attend church. And if you're not getting sped, fed spiritually, likely, he says, it's because I'm not hungry. Seven. I attend church with frequency, not on occasion. It is my prayer to be in my church every Sunday. When I'm out of town, I can find another church to go to. I don't ever want to say I need a break from church. Eight, I attend church to set my example for my family. Couples, he says, are healthier marriages. Children grow up with countless benefits because their parents attend church. And nine, finally, I attend church because the Bible tells me to. Listen to this. He says two-thirds of the New Testament 
is about churches, specifically gathered churches. Two-thirds. So you talk, what the New Testament is talking to is the New Testament church. And so when you're a part of the church, I know you're here. You probably need, well, everybody who's out there not in church needs to hear this. Well, we need to hear it just to be reminded why we are here. That's why we come. I appreciate your faithfulness. And so hang in there. Stay in the church. So we had study, seek, serve, sanctuary. And finally, before we go to our, our uh, things we're going to do, terminations, share. Matthew 5, please. Matthew chapter 5, 13 to 16. Share, witness, testify. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, as you're turning to Matthew 5, But ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. So that, that's what God has called us to do, whether you're the pastor or whether you're not the pastor. If you're a Christian, in Matthew five thirteen, ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Your work's going to shine. There was a lady just this past Wednesday, I think I told you Wednesday night, she brought in her computer in a bag and put and she wanted me to help with her, help her with the, her own computer. I said, okay, it's fine. And she put it, she said, I'm going to get some coffee. Now don't you put on this any computer things that there should not be there. I said, ma'am. I said, and she, and Amy said, he's a preacher. He's not going to do that. I said, ma'am, I preach against that stuff. I'm not even going to get out of the bag. And so your testimony, you say you're a Christian, people are watching constantly, constantly. You're to be witness. We are the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. Are we being the salt and light that God has called us to be? I love what Mordecai says to Esther. I think that's the way it was. He was hey, for such a time. Well, you're coming to the kingdom for such a time as this. And that's why God's left you here. He's left you for a reason. Otherwise, we'd be like Star Trek and beam us out of here. We get saved. Boom, there we go. Saved. Boom, there we go. That's not God's plan. The God's plan is his church to tell other people so they can one day, zoom, there we go, when he comes back in the rapture. That's what he's called us to do. So we are to share. All that in mind. Now, if you jot down nothing else, jot down these five things. These are our five, if you would, determinations in light of the state of our union, in light of what God wants to do in our lives and the lives of our nation. First of all, determination number one, and they come from the Hope of Nations by James, John, sorry, John Dickerson, sorry, John, John Dickerson. I got for Christmas that book, and I've read. I pretty much read the whole thing already. Uh, it's very good. You can borrow it now if you want, if you like. First determination. Now he's got more. I'm going to do five. Remain rooted in Scripture. As a as a couple, as a family, remain rooted in Scripture. Thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. In a world where truth is feelings-based now for many, we will remain rooted in Christian scriptures and their life-giving directions. Why do we have so many who are against the death penalty? Because I just don't feel it's right. Regardless of what you feel like, the Bible has decided clearly and told us government in certain cases, that needs to be done. 
I know it's, it's a controversial issue. Talk about it tonight. We are to be, our feelings cannot trump truth. They do, though. It's our culture. And when you put Christ and God out of the seminaries and the universities, Germany did the very same thing. They became a post-Christian nation. God's not that important. We can live on our own. And so here's what we believe to be true. Isn't it interesting that when you follow God and his word, you don't have to worry about somewhere down the road it coming to light that it's not true. Or somewhere down the road, it was a big trumped-up thing. Or somewhere down the road, it was just all a facade. His word is forever, endures forever. I'm just watching an advertisement for an expose of a group that was very prominent about two or three years ago. and something I think the expose is called The Biggest Lie Ever Told or something like that. I haven't watched it yet. But it's like with so many people jumped on the bandwagon and now come to find out it wasn't all that it was supposed to be. I'm glad that the more you look at God's word and the deeper you go, the better it is. The better it is. We must remember, now there's going to be a pressure to abandon scripture. It's not only social, it's supernatural and satanic. Although with mainstream media and large metropolitan cities, it's tolerable now to be a Christian Unless you're one of those fundamentalist Christians and you're on the right wing of things, then you can't be that. Many folks don't enjoy that at all. And I read this quote, I think, Wednesday. I'm going to read it again, a little bit from New York Times article by Nicholas Kristof. He says this, Today, among urban Americans and Europeans, evangelical Christian is sometimes a synonym for a rube. Now, I have to admit... I was not sure what R-U-B-E is. It's country bumpkin. If you're a rube, you're a country bumpkin, you're awkward, you're unsophisticated, you're naive. So he says, today, among urban Americans and Europeans, evangelical Christians is sometimes a synonym for a rube. Now, why would he say that? Because we believe the Bible. We believe God created everything. We believe that God is alive. We believe that when we die, we go to heaven or hell. We, we believe what the God's word said, but that's just, that's just country bumpkinish. In liberal circles, evangelicals constitute one of the few groups that it's safe to mock openly. Going on, he talks about, uh, in less sanitized terms, actor Megan Fox, who was in the Transformer movies, demonstrated this cultural animosity toward Christians in America today. Ask how she would keep an evil robot, remember she's in the robot movies, from destroying the entire world, Megan Fox replied, I'd barter with him and say, instead of the entire planet, can you just take out all the white trash, hillbilly, anti-gay, super Bible-beating people in middle America? And that's the, the flyover. We're in the flyover section, by the way, of America. The, the intelligentsia of our country think they have gone beyond God's word. You can't go beyond God. There's nothing beyond God. He is the end of all things. What he has said will last forever. I like this, again, quoting from the book. We must resolve to keep the authority of Scripture a top priority, written and elevated in our selection of Christian leaders, church leaders, pastors, etc. No amount of charisma, gifting, or proven effectiveness can justify a Christian leader who degrades the Word of God by making it anything less than the sole standard for all we do and believe. Amen to that. We've got to have that as a standard for people who are leading our churches, certainly, and we'd love to have that standard for people who are leading our own nation. 
Do you remember Jesus said to Pilate, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto to the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Do you realize that when you put the Bible aside, if we lose the doctrine of Scripture, we not only abandon being on Jesus' side, we lose the ability to know what side it is. If we don't have his truth, we need to abandon him and how we are to be on his side. When we jettison scripture, it's a big, it's a downhill, it's like a big snowball gathering speed. When you let God out of your life, it's like, we're headed for a big disaster. So number one thought is this, in a world where truth is based on feelings, we will remain rooted in the word of God. Number two, determination number two, training our young in a post-knowledge era In a society of educated ignorance and blindness, we will train our young in the freedom, knowledge, and power of God's word and Christian truth. Turn with me, please, to Deuteronomy chapter 11. Training our young in a post-knowledge era. Deuteronomy 11, please. Pentateuch, last book of the Pentateuch. Interesting, I was reminded in Sunday school about how the kings of Judah and Israel, at least Judah, I believe, for sure, probably Israel, had to learn the Pentateuch to become a king. What what would be a... Marvelous thing to continue on in all nations. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 16, it says, For us, take heed to yourselves that your heart be not deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Down to 18. Therefore shall you lay up these my words in your heart and in your soul, and bind them for a sign upon your hand, that they may be as frontless between your eyes, and ye shall teach them to your children, speaking of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up, and thou shalt write them upon the door of thy doorpost of thine house, and upon thy gates, that your days may be multiplied, and the days of your children in the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers to give them as the days of heaven upon the earth. We are to train our children in this post-truth era, the truth of God's word, a truth-based worldview. I think I just, I think I mentioned it, I don't mentioned it uh, Wednesday, but uh, one survey said that less than 1% of all Christian young people have a biblical worldview. What's a biblical worldview? We talked about it several, uh, several months ago. We talked about it. It's the, what lines with the Bible. Biblical worldview. What the Bible says we believe is what happened. We are to be teaching our children. And we find it a very sad statistic that about two out of three American Christian young people presently abandoning the Christian faith between ages 18 and 29. We need to train our children. The post-truth worldview is so pervasive and slippery, so all can encompassing in the world of entertainment and cultural assumptions, we cannot assume Christian children, no matter what, are going to turn out to follow what we have taught them. We can't. Matter of fact, I like this. Quite the opposite. We must assume that short of overwhelming intentional effort and concerted prayer, our children will absorb the spirit of this age and the pro-truth ideology that accompanies it. Concerted prayer. We must have intentional effort. Train your children, grandchildren, aunts and uncles, train your nephews and nieces the truth of God's word. And the things which thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, thou commit, same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Continue on. Bring your grandchildren to church. Bring your children to church. Bring, bring your nephews. Bring friends in the neighborhood. Continue being faithful. So the thought is a society of education, ignorance, and blindness. In that society, we will train our young in the freedom and knowledge and power of God's word and the Christian truth. Thirdly, third, manifesto determination. 
will be known for doing good in a post-church era. Known for doing good in a post-church era. 1 Timothy chapter 2, please. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12. Known for doing good. 1 Timothy 2.12. 1 Timothy 2.12. Known for doing good in a post-church era. Having your conversation, lifestyle, honest among the Gentiles. That whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God. In the day of visitation, there to go, by your works, by how you're living, wow, what a wonderful God you have. That is the idea. We must have the humility to acknowledge that in American culture today, Christians are often prejudiced as closed-minded and more for what they shout against and don't like rather than what they are proposing and helpful. The independent Baptist movement since the 1970s has, as we... I was raised, honestly, I was raised, I was talking to somebody about this Wednesday, that if you're not following exactly what, exactly what our church is doing, that's the idea, then you're out of God's will. And you can't be a truly born-again, Bible-preaching Christian, living Christian, if you're not in this particular exact mindset. I, I'm thinking, I look around, I look at the ministries across America, and there's a lot of ministries who have a lot greater more things going on, and they may not do things exactly like we do, and yet God's blessing them. How is that possible? Because perhaps if I took my blinders off and was willing to see that there are other people who don't agree with everything I might agree or say, and God's still blessing them. Was it in the New, the New Testament where I said, well, someone's preaching the gospel. Well, he's preaching the gospel. Let him go. Let him go on. Preach the gospel. So, I know it was a, very, a strong paraphrase, loose paraphrase. We are, to, we are to be known for doing good. What's the reputation that we have in the world? Listen to a couple of verses. Matthew 5, 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you that ye, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season ye shall, we shall reap if we faint not, that they do good and that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. Put them in mind, be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work. For so is the will of God, 1 Peter 2.15, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. It is clear from Scripture, we're not saved by good works, but we are saved unto good works. And it's a proof of, it's a proof of the pudding, if you will. I don't know where that comes from, but the proof of the pudding, if you're truly born again, we're going to see your life change and the good works you're going to do will be evidence of God living in you. Number four, dignifying all people in a post-human era. As we're turning to Colossians 3, dignifying all people in a post-human era. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, please. Colossians 12, 3. Colossians chapter 12, verse 3. How about chapter 3, verse 12? Now, if you're at Colossians chapter 12, you need to check, you need to check the, you need to check the lining in your Bible there. What, what does that say? You're in a, if you're in Colossians, and pastor's checking his right now, so I got my same Bible I've used for many, many years. Uh, how about 312 of Colossians? That's much better. You know, that's a good sign. I could probably preach in a lot of churches in America and say Colossians chapter 12, verse 3, and they'd be looking for a half hour. And I, I know he's in there somewhere. But you know, oh, something's wrong right off the bat, right? Yes, good. That's the way it should be. 
And I was not a test, intentional test. That was just a mistake on my part. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. 14, Colossians 3. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to that which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful." dignifying all people in a post-human era, that is the thought, where people are treated as commodities or possibly opponents, we are going to dignify all people as image bearers of God. This past year, 2022, Canada euthanized 10,000 human beings. Human beings. In America, do you know that in America today, which we'll talk about tonight, 53% now of abortions in America are through the pill. Medical abortions, 53% are now with that. I thought when Roe versus Wade, which, by the way, was a wonderful thing to happen in our lifetime, it just simply put it all back to the states. And now it's really ramped up the pro-abortion, and they're doing everything in their... Satan's doing everything in his power to get more and more options for people to do this murdering of their own children. Jesus was known, by the way, for accepting sinful individuals. Remember, remember, dignifying all people. Now, he didn't didn't, uh, okay their sin. He didn't agree with their sin. But he talked to them. He ministered to them, even though they were the down and outs. They were the people. Do you not know what this woman who's washing your hair, what she is? Yes, he knew very well. And he also knows what you are. Sinner who needs to be saved. And so we we have to, no matter who it is, do not be turned off by, well, okay, we need to talk to that person. Well, they may not listen, but you just talk. God does not say you have to, to save anybody. But he does say that you need to share the gospel with those he gives you opportunity to share them with. I cannot save. I can point them to the Savior. I can lead you through the sinner's prayer, and you can, but I can't be saved for you. But that's my responsibility is, is to live a life and to share this news with other people. By the way, in America, there were 13, over 1,300 people who were euthanized last year in America alone. Rather than separating the sin from the sinner, we must also inject back into the view of humanity a biblical dignity for people. I was re- we're reading our book on, on pornography and how that men who get involved in pornography don't realize that all oh, those women they're fantasizing about are lots of times caught in those things. They have no choice. and They need someone to tell them, too, how Jesus loves them. What would you want if you weren't caught in some terrible sex slave? Or There's so much, uh, uh, I'm looking for the word, there's so much slavery in the world yet today. Only by God's grace are you sitting right here having heard the gospel in a church that's warm, in a country where we can still worship freely. Do you realize in lots of parts and times in the history of America, if you believed in, in baptism by immersion, you could likely be killed? If you had scripture, if you caught with any one page of scripture, off with your head. If you named the name of Christ and didn't name Caesar, we're going to feed you to the lions. We have today, we have it made. We are wealthy beyond belief. And it's turned our hearts to ourselves and away from God here in America. We've got, why do we need God? And that's the mindset of many today. We need him more than ever. I was praying this morning, God in wrath, remember mercy. 
Remember mercy. America so needs to repent. But we are going to treat people as real human beings. It says in 1 Corinthians, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not charity, it profiteth me what? Nothing. If I aim to see the world as Christ sees it, then we will not see human, humans as our true enemy. We will see Satan, the great adversary, as our enemy. And we will see the humans who do Satan's work as they actually are, slaves to demonic forces, constricted to perform the adversary's works of destruction. Christ came to set captives free, and we can be a part of that in His glorious plan if we will reach out to those who are in need. And finally, ambassadors. We'll be ambassadors for Christ in a post-Christian era. 2 Corinthians 5.20 Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you, beseech you by us, as we pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. We are ambassadors. In a post-Christian world, we will be ambassadors to foreign tribes. Foreign tribes in America? Yes! ideological tribes, tribes who don't believe the Bible, tribes who believe that everything belongs around feeling, tribes who do this, tribes who do that, people who are so different than our thinking. We can either constantly bemoan the reality that our pagan non-Christian neighbors are behaving like pagan non-Christians, or we can acknowledge that we are now ambassadors in an ideologically foreign land, in a post-Christian society. In some ways, I want, as the author says, I believe it's harder in America and Europe now to share the gospel because we've got so much anti-gospel rhetoric has been promoted across the world, our country especially. Christians are now historically oppressors, slave masters, and inhumane conquerors. That's what Christians are. We, but the history says different. Oh, we don't care about history. I know what I feel. And I know that I, why do we have all these monuments torn down the last five years in America? I just feel what well, that's that's gotta be such an issue. I'm not I'm not saying it was right. But when you take Abraham Lincoln and say he was a terrible person because listen, I'm not saying he's perfect. He did more to free slavery in America than probably anybody. He didn't own them himself. But we focus, you see how we've gotten around to, we're focusing on all these feeling things and said, what does God, you can't change history by simply tearing down, I, I could pull out the rest of my hair, but you know, I, my hair's going to fall out anyway, I can't change history, I could, I could glue it back on there, I've got some hair and I could come in next Sunday and have a big toupee glued on top of my head and everybody's laughing already, I can't change history, I can try, I, I lost my hair on top, well just go on, go on with life. It's not that big a deal. What's a big deal is if I know Christ as Savior. And knowing Him, I serve Him. We are ambassadors. Because that, remember Romans 1, because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. That is America. Why has God left us on planet Earth after we've trusted Christ? Why were we not immediately teleported to heaven at the moment of salvation? The answer is that God has work on earth for us to do. We must adjust our expectations. If you think everybody you talk to tomorrow or this week is going to have the same biblical mindset as you, you're really going to be mistaken. And don't get frustrated. I get, oh, I get, can't you just see the truth? Listen, wake up, America. It was Earl Pitsy. I can't, I'm not, I don't listen to it, but wake up, America. That's what I want to say. It takes God. God's going to have to do it. And you and I, independent Baptists, we've been too long. 
we got too much of a bad reputation of my way or the highway shouting down everybody else, and if you ain't doing exactly like I'm doing, you're out of touch with God. Now, people are going to hell if they don't repent. But there's a way to do that, and there's a way not to do that that turns people off. Let us, in love, share the good news. May our good works lead to us sharing the good news. And so, Christian, let us ramp it up. Our time is short. My wife almost fell down the steps. Her hymn got caught in her her shoe this morning. God graciously allowed her to reach out and grab the rail. I was thinking, if if I lost her this morning, she could have easily broken her neck. And I didn't tell her how much I love her. We just take things for, for granted. There's a lot of people waiting for you to show them Christ. May that be, at choose at least one family, one person this year that you're going to pray for, that they will come to know Christ and go out of your way to invite them, to encourage them. Will you do that? Let us pray. Lord, help us to be about your business. Our, our time is so short. And we'll get back, and we'll look back 20, 30 years. Wow, where'd time go? We probably are doing that. And Lord, opportunities that we have squandered to share the gospel. Lord, who is that that you brought into the lives of each one here? Someone, probably, maybe several, that we may possibly, we're going to be the only one to ever have a chance to truly share the gospel because you have a relationship, you have a friendship, they're part of your family. Lord, may we be praying every day. May this pastor every day pray. Lord, please give me opportunities to share the good news with others. May it be about your business. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.